Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. What's your story? Elie Wiesel begins his 1964 novel, The Gates of the Forest, with a preface containing this story, which I'm about to share with you, and I've paraphrased it a bit for this podcast. There was a time in which lived a great and faithful rabbi. And when the rabbi saw misfortune threatening the Jews, it was his custom to go into a certain part of the forest to meditate. There he would light a fire, say a special prayer, and the miracle would be accomplished and the misfortune averted. After he died and his disciple had taken his place, his disciple saw that again calamity approached for the people, so he too needed to follow in his predecessor's footsteps and to intercede with heaven. So he went to the same place in the forest and said, Master of the universe, listen. I do not know how to light the fire, but I am still able to say the prayer. And again, the miracle was accomplished. Still later, yet another great rabbi came along. He too knew of the tradition followed by his two predecessors, and once again, a storm brewed on the horizon for his people. So, in order to save the people, he went to the same place in the forest and said, I do not know how to light the fire. I do not know the prayer, but I know the place. And this must be sufficient. And it was sufficient, and the miracle was accomplished. Finally, there was another rabbi, a successor to the other three, and he too found himself facing trouble for his people, and knowing that he must, like those before him, find a way to intercede on his people's behalf. Sitting in his armchair, his head in his hands, he spoke to God, I'm unable to light the fire. I don't know the prayer. I can't even find the place in the forest. All I can do is to tell the story. And hopefully, that will be sufficient. And it was. And the miracle was again accomplished. Elie Wiesel, the author of the story, ends with this statement. God made man because he loves stories. To fully place this story into context, we should tell a bit of Mr. Wiesel's story. He was born in 1928 into a Jewish family in Romania, and he, along with all the Jews of his community, were rounded up by the Nazis and placed in one of two confinement ghettos. Toward the end of World War II, as the effort to exterminate the Jews reached a frenzied pace, they were moved to Auschwitz, the extermination camp. His mother and younger sister were killed immediately. He and his father were put to work and then later eventually transferred to Buchenwald, another extermination camp. Before the camp 
was liberated, his father was also killed. When I was much younger, in high school, I think, we read his book entitled Night. It is a short but powerful story of his experience in the concentration camps. And I would place that single little book in the top five most powerful and life-changing books of my life. I should say, it is not an easy read emotionally. So if you haven't read it yet and want to, first, I strongly recommend it. But secondly, I equally strongly encourage you to please choose a time when you can best handle it. I tell you all of this because it is truly remarkable for me that this man who lived through, witnessed, and survived the worst atrocities humanity can commit on fellow humans, that he can tell a story so filled with hope is remarkable to me. And that he can end the story with such a wonderful and hope-filled statement as, God made man because he loves stories. If ever there were someone who had the right and a reason to want to forget and to never tell a story, ever, surely this man had earned that right. And yet he wrote 57 books. He was a storyteller extraordinaire. I am convinced that the reason he was able to overcome his horrific childhood was at least partly, and maybe mainly, because he told stories. There is huge power in our stories and the stories of others. One of the fascinating things to come out of this time of social distancing is that we have to spend a lot of time without the usual busyness of our lives. And interestingly, for many of us, that forces us to spend time with our own stories. With time on our hands, we think about our own journey and the people we've encountered along the way. And one of the wonderful byproducts of this time for me is the number of people who've reached out and connected with me simply to reminisce and celebrate when and how our stories have intersected. I'm an Episcopal priest, and actually so is my father. He's an Episcopal priest. He served churches across Tennessee and in Atlanta and in New York City. I recently received a call from a man who wanted to tell me the story of how my father had been important in the life of his family at a very difficult time. It was such a wonderful gift to hear the story. He ended the phone call by saying, When you speak to your father, please say thanks to him for me and tell him I've turned out all right. I, too, find myself during this time reaching out and connecting with people who've been an important part of my story. The process of writing some of these podcasts has wonderfully reminded me of formative people in my life and in my story. I believe Elie Wiesel was right. God made us because God loves stories. 
But I think it goes further than that. Because as a Christian, I follow Jesus, who spent much of his ministry telling people about the nature of a loving God. And the way he did that was by telling stories. So I want to share a story with you today. If the book Night is one of my all-time most formative books, then I have a story and a person from the story, and they are amongst my all-time most formative. And so I want to share it with you. When I started school in the first grade, I went to my neighborhood elementary school, as did the kids in my surrounding area. I don't remember the name of my first grade teacher, and that's probably a good thing. I was not a very good student. Letters and numbers did not come easily to me, and I was constantly writing them backwards. I remember clearly thinking that to my eyes, the the numbers 2, 3, and 4 all faced to the left. Then 5 and 6 faced to the right, followed by a 7, which is then again facing to the left, And unless I'm looking at them in the first grade, written down correctly, I was never able to remember which faced to the left and which faced to the right. So I was always reversing those numbers. Only one, eight, and zero were sure things for me. My first grade teacher became frustrated with my inability to get my numbers correct. I told her I couldn't remember which way each number faced. She told me that I was being ridiculous. Numbers and letters don't face in a direction. They just are. Then she gave me a nickname, Backwards Danny. And that's what I was called by her for the rest of the year. And I don't ever remember being addressed by anything other than Backwards Danny. Not surprisingly, I finished the first grade knowing not much more than I did when I entered. I couldn't read. Most of my time in first grade was spent trying not to disappoint my teacher, which meant doing whatever I could to avoid drawing her attention. I ended the first grade, and the next year I was placed in Mrs. Burneau's class. I began second grade no better at anything than I had been when I ended the first grade. But what had changed was my teacher. I remember in the first week of school, she noticed I was struggling with getting my numbers right. But rather than scolding me, she asked me what was going on. And for some reason, I launched into my story about numbers facing in different directions. And even as I was telling her, I was thinking to myself, this is stupid. Don't tell her. You've already been told this is stupid. Stop telling her. But something about the way she asked and listened made me feel like she was truly interested. So I just kept going. When I finished, she said something, and I don't remember the words exactly, but I absolutely remember the message. She told me I was so smart. 
I'd showed her something she'd never been aware of or even thought about before. And she thanked me. She did not spend one moment of that conversation trying to correct me. It was all about affirmation. I remember that after that conversation's Numbers were no longer scary. Oh, I still struggled with them. They were constantly backwards. But I felt a new courage to try. And I began to develop reasons for each number and why it faced in the direction it did. And when I'd come up with a reason that would help me remember them, I would go up to her and tell her, And she always told me how bright and creative I was. Even as I tell you this story from my childhood, I'll find myself in a better mood after having told it. I'm strengthened and made more hopeful as I'm reminded of what a wonderfully powerful influence she had and has been on my life. Ms. Bernot died a number of years ago, but her story lives on with me. If humanity was created because God loves stories, then I have no doubt the stories are intended to be shared. So I want to give you a challenge. Think of a person who's a part of your story. Try to push yourself a bit on this one. Think beyond your immediate family. Think of someone in your past who maybe doesn't even know how much they shaped you and how much they continue to be a part of your story and who you are today, then here's the simple challenge. Tell the story. Ms. Bernot died a number of years ago, but before she did, I wrote her a letter and told her how much she'd shaped my life. I truly believe I wouldn't have made it through high school and certainly not college or seminary, had it not been for her influence. So if you can, call the person and tell them your story. Now, this isn't a thank you call. In other words, the quickest but least powerful thing you can do is to call and just say thank you. Instead, call them or send them a letter and say, I'm not sure you have any idea what a profound effect you had on my life. And I thought I'd let you know by telling you, and then tell the story. Thank yous are wonderful, but stories, well, they are positively life-giving, as no doubt God intended them to be. It's okay to say thank you after you tell the story, but trust me, telling the story is the strongest thanks you can give. If you can't speak to the person because they are no longer around or unreachable, then find someone else and tell them the story, as I have with you and the story of Mrs. Bernot. Just tell the story. Your life will be better. The person with whom you share it will be better for it. And the world will be a little bit brighter place, as I think God intended it to be whenever we tell each other our stories. Also, please know this is in no way meant to feel like an assignment. Matter of fact, to the contrary, this is intended to be an opportunity to reconnect with the joy 
from your own story. And if for some reason you have no one else with whom to share your story, email it to me. I'd love to read it. That's all for today. On your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Please feel free to get in touch with me through email or follow me on Twitter. Both are SkyPilot with three T's, S-K-Y-P-I-L-O-T-T-T. My email address is skypilot at gmail.com and Twitter is at skypilot. Thanks for listening to SkyPilot FaithQuest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions.